The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Patricia Raskin Positive Living, the program that brings you practical and inspiring principles for living more authentic, engaging, and passionate lives. Created by Patricia Raskin, a catalyst for positive change. All comments, views, and opinions are solely those of the host, guest, and callers. And now, with Patricia Raskin Positive Living, here's your host, Patricia Raskin. Welcome, everyone, and welcome to Patricia Raskin Positive Living, right here on VoiceAmerica.com, America's Voice. This is a program that shows you how to turn your obstacles into opportunities and your problems into solutions and how to make your dreams come true. And that's what we do each week. And we're very happy to have a, a very interesting program on, tomorrow, on today and really to tell you some, really some new things in the field, actually, of psychology, some groundbreaking work. We're talking today about the favorite child. For more than 30 years, veteran clinical psychologist Ellen Weber-Libby, who is my guest today, has been helping successful, often powerful clients in Washington, D.C., a place known for its outsized personalities who deal with their personal problems. She has found a pattern that has emerged out of 60,000 hours of therapy, and what she calls it is the favorite child complex. It's groundbreaking work because it's the first book and the first work that really describes in intimate detail how being the favorite child can offer great advantages, but it can also bring significant emotional handicaps. And everybody, uh, we know about the favorite child for many families, and that's what we're going to talk about today. Welcome, Ellen. Thank you. It's, it's yeah. very I'm happy to have you. I want to tell people that you are a licensed clinical psychologist. You've been in private practice in D.C. for over 30 years, and you were clinical director of a mental health center serving a three-county region, and you write a blog also for Psychology Today, and your brand-new book is The Favorite Child, How a Favorite Impacts Every Family Member for Life. Okay, um, does every family have a favorite child, Ellen? Every family has a favorite child. It's normal. It is across the board. Now, not every, fa- not every parent will acknowledge they have a favorite child, mm-hmm. but that doesn't mean that the kids don't know who's favored. Mm-hmm. So what's the problem? The entitlement issue that these kids grow up and think they can do anything? and they become selfish or, um, you know, self-important? Well, being a favorite child, by definition, isn't necessarily problematic. We, favorite kids grow up with feelings of power and confidence. We need to have people who are powerful and confident to take on different challenges of life. So, ideally, we would love every single kid and every single family to grow up with the experience of having been the favorite child. Hmm. It, it's when a favorite child grows up 
with entitlement when a favorite child grows up with no one to ever challenge them. Because sometimes when you're the favored, what you get in exchange for making mom or dad feel good mm-hmm. is you get the freedom to do things that you want to do without knowing about limits or boundaries. Mm-hmm. And when Ellen, favorite... what about the only child? Is the only child often the favorite child? The only child can be the favorite child, but not necessarily. The same criterion applies. There are a lot of only children who end up feeling that they probably weren't wanted, that they were a mistake in some way. And there are other um, only children where moms and dads grow up working cooperatively and the child grows up feeling confident but not necessarily entitled. And then, of course, like uh, larger children in in families with multiple children, there are only children who grow up with all of the issues of entitlement that every favorite child mm-hmm. grows up to. Mm-hmm. And also the only children, many only children, come from families of divorce. Um, sometimes. I mean, I, I think that's true more now. In my practice, I've certainly seen many only children who were not products of divorce where there's still the same issues where a child fills a void in the life most often of mom, though not exclusively, and in exchange for filling that void, the child gets privileges and entitlement that doesn't necessarily bode well in the rest Mm -hmm. of their lives. Now, in in your book, I mean, you talk about how favoritism has disadvantages. Mm -hmm. You talk about how the potential dangers of favoritism have hit close to home. Mm-hmm. You talk about your brother-in-law, Scooter Libby, former chief of staff to Vice President Cheney, mm-hmm. how he ultimately suffered from status as a family favorite. Mm-hmm. I- I'm sorry, I didn't hear you. you, you well, basically uh, what we were talking about was uh, your brother-in-law, Scooter Libby. Right. And how, how he suffered as from status as a family favorite. Correct. Correct. How... Well, you know, certainly as um, the favorite child in the family, um, we all adored Scooter, and in in exchange for... My mother-in-law was a pretty anxious woman, and Scooter had the knack for keeping her really, really calm. He was the only one that could do that. And in exchange for that, he we, we all appreciated what he did, and we all gave him a pass on all kinds of of expectations that normally in families people don't get passes on. Mm. And what we saw in Scooter is certainly not unlike what we have seen in um, in incredible numbers of politicians who were favorite children where their reputations were certainly marred by their sense of entitlement. The most notable example, of course, being Bill Clinton. Mm. Bill Clinton grew up and really... Um, continued to fill the void in his mother's life, mm-hmm. and in exchange for that, he certainly had lots and lots of entitlement. So that we certainly see how that ended up marring um, his reputation in his presidency. Mm-hmm. So the phenomena is not an uncommon phenomena. So let's talk about what the issues are. What do we need to watch out for if we have a favorite child, which many of us do? You know, obviously, as you said, the good parts are that they have confidence, they believe in themselves, they can accomplish. But the other side of that is sometimes they don't know the boundary between right and wrong. 
So share some of that, um, what the pitfalls are, what the fallout is. You know, who are the people sitting on your chair in therapy who have it all and they're in your chair? And, and, and what, the, what that means. Well, there are lots of drawbacks to being the favorite child. Of course, um, there are moral drawbacks, such as we have just spoken of, someone like a Bill Clinton or people who will lie or people who think that the rules don't apply to them. I think as, you, as we are talking, um, Tiger Woods is having his famous press conference. Again, someone who was a favorite child and talks so much about the issues of feeling entitled that you can get what you want. And that is um, certainly pervasive and widespread. Do you think that it leads to addictions? I mean, in, the, in these two cases of the two men, of Bill Clinton and Tiger Woods, it obviously led to addiction. And, of course, people will argue if that's really an addiction. But uh, clinically, it led to that kind of compulsive behavior. Do you think that being the favorite child can lead to addiction, whether it's sex or whether it's drug or alcohol or gambling? Absolutely, because I think that being a favorite child can lead to depression because the favorite child so often lives their life having to maintain the status of being the favorite child and thereby ends up having to get it right for mom and dad all the time. Because and look good. Yeah, and they, look they, well, they don't, want, they don't want to jeopardize losing the status. Mm-hmm. So the status is really important to mm-hmm. maintain. Um, one, in, one pertinent to this, in one um, interview that I had recently, uh, someone in the audience spoke up and indicated that the man was a very successful attorney, Ivy League educated and so forth, and was, he was gay, and he had not come out to his family and was very, very worried because if he came out to his family, he was frightened that he would lose the status of being the favorite child mm-hmm. and didn't know that he could survive without that kind of adoration. Yeah. And so I think people who grow up with the, as the favorite child walk a very narrow line because they don't want to jeopardize their status. And so in doing for example, that... For example, Ellen, we'll, we'll, take, we'll take this one step further. Let's say, and often it's a man that does this, the man who you know, may not be that happy in the marriage, but there's never been divorce in the family, and they have the perfect life on the outside, the gorgeous wife and the gorgeous kids and the gorgeous, you know, the, the success and everything, but they're having an affair because something's missing, but they justify that because they're not really cheating because they, they shut it off in terms of the affair. So isn't that also kind of that uh, entitlement? It, that's two things. That is, the, it's probably many things, but two major things. One is the entitlement that we're talking about. The other is a sense that nobody can love me as much as the parent who favors me. And so you're into a marriage or you're into a relationship with a wonderful person who, and the relationship is rich, but the favorite child often lives with a void and they spend their lives looking for someone who's going to love them and adore them as much as mom and dad do, or the, the parent who's the favorite parent who does. Mm-hmm. And, and many times they don't leave because of what you said, the status, nobody's ever been divorced in my family, I'm, I'm, big, I'm large in the community, I'd rather suffer silently or be depressed inside but have all these things on the outside. They don't, yeah, they become, they're not only the favorite child in the family, they're the favorite child in the community. And Mm. they're going to live their lives in Mm. a very constricted way because they don't want to jeopardize Mm. that enhanced status. And if they do have an affair, 
I don't, I think they really believe in their heart of hearts that they can get away with it. They don't really think that the rules apply to them, so they don't necessarily see themselves as breaking the rules because they live by a different set of rules. Interesting. So whatever happens then with the favorite child, do they just go along that way and get away with it for the rest of their life? I mean, we're talking about affairs, but it could be anything. Well, I, I, it really varies by the person, and I think it varies by the relationship. I think that some favorite children um, go through life really believing that the rules don't apply to me, and they, if they have a spouse or a partner who doesn't necessarily view it that way, sometimes spouses and partners will find a way to collude or to perpetuate the relationship because of their reasons, and they'll be able to tolerate this indulged favorite child living life the way they want to. I think that there are other people who are, they'll reach a point where they're very threatened and they don't necessarily want to lose the life that they have. They may have um, a wife or a husband. If it's a, a, a woman who's a favorite child, though we don't hear as much about women who are a favorite child having affairs as we do men. Um, but if, in that case, the partner can certainly um, say, I've had enough, I'm out of here. As we saw Jenny Sanford did, um, who was the governor's wife in South Carolina. She said, I had enough, I'm out of here. And in that situation, the question then becomes whether the favorite child sees that as a wake-up call. You know, when when the issue is drinking, the expression is, has the person bottomed out or not? In my practice... um, it's been interesting because the, the politicians who were the favorite child where the rules didn't apply to them, very often they, I get to see them in my practice through what I call the back door, meaning their children are having issues. Mm-hmm. And when the children have issues and the family gets together and we do some family therapy, the dynamics of this important um, ego-bloated favorite child becomes more important. And often when children are having difficulties, that provides a stimulus for the favorite child to begin to not feel quite so entitled, to maybe begin to modify their behavior, to begin to look at how they hurt people close to them. Yeah, we're going to talk more about this when we come back. And when we come back, I think what I want to talk about is how does this affect the children. Okay. And you talked about that a little bit. But, you know, when favoritism exists with one child, you know, how, how, does, it affect the, how does it affect the child of the child? So the child grows up and then they have kids. How does that affect? And also we'll talk about favoritism with single-parent families, which can also be pervasive. All right, you're listening to Patricia Raskin, Positive Living. My guest today is Ellen Libby, and her book is The Favorite Child, How a Family Impact, How a Favorite Child Impacts Every Family Member for Life. Stay tuned, folks. We'll be right back. Opinion. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. Hey, Dad. What? I can't get the ketchup bottle open. Here, let me try. 
Here you go. Thanks. You don't have to be a hero to be a hero. When you adopt a child from foster care, just being there makes all the difference. To learn more, call 1-888-200-4005. A public service announcement brought to you by Adopt US Kids, the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, and the Ad Council. Wielding power, shaping environments and outcomes, and making things happen are all essential characteristics of great leaders. Yet these qualities alone are not enough to ensure your success. In a complex world, how do you decide what's most important to you? In your career, your relationships, your finances, your family, in the world around you, in the whole of your life at large. Dr. Joseph Riggio, the host of Leadership Intuition, says that personal leadership, the desire to take charge of your life, is the key to creating futures that work and building a life worth living. Join Joseph as he reveals the power of uncovering and living your own personal mythology, the key to personal transformation, exquisite performance, and social influence. Learn to look inside and discover your personal mythology and unique leadership style. Go beyond conventional advice and discover your unique success blueprint on Leadership Intuitions with Dr. Joseph Riggio each Friday at 8 a.m. Pacific, 11 a.m. Eastern on the Voice America channel. Leadership Intuitions, power, achievement, relationships. If you want to get ahead, you have to stand out from the crowd, the clutter, and the competition. Are you? Tune in each week for Standing Out with Lauren Saunier. Lauren and her guests have the secrets that can help you and your business get noticed, get attention, and achieve your desired results no matter where you're starting from. Standing Out with Lauren Saunier, live every Friday at 12 noon Eastern Time, 9 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Get ready to be a marketing machine. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Hi, everyone. We are back. You are listening to Patricia Raskin, Positive Living, right here on VoiceAmerica.com, America's Voice. We're talking today about the favorite child, and we're talking to Ellen Weber Libby, who has written a groundbreaking book uh, out of 60 hours of therapy is what she calls the favorite child complex. She talks in intimate detail about how a favorite child can have great advantages and also handicaps. And uh, so welcome back, Ellen. Hello. Ellen, what is your website, please, for people? Um, it, my, my website is um, www.ellen. E-L-L-E-N-Weber, W-E-B-E-R, Libby, L-I-B-B-Y, dot com. Okay. So it's EllenWeberLibby.com. Right. All right. And the book is The Favorite Child. Right. All right. Let's talk more then about um, what happens. Let's say you're the favorite child. You grow up and now you have children. And you alluded to this before the break, that then their children come in and they have problems. How does, what problems manifest with the child of the favorite child? It, the, the, when talking about favorite children, we have to first bear in mind that the child is favored who makes the parent feel good. Or the child is favored because the child affirms the parent in a way that the parent needs to be affirmed. And the child that is most likely to do that is the child who is the favored child. So the way in which selection of favoritism happens is, is often very subtle. Sometimes a child will be the favorite child 
because they look like the beloved grandfather who everybody revered. Or maybe the favorite child is the child because this is the child that represents the best of who the parent wants to be. And it's all often murky and unconscious. Parents are often not aware that that, uh, that, that underlies their selection of favoritism. So that when a, an adult has been the favorite child in their family, they're not always aware that they pass along their legacy. And they will look to their child who unconsciously strokes them the way in which they played the role for their parent. Mm-hmm. So it gets passed down from generation to generation. Um, what happens in one generation is usually reenacted, though obviously it's affected by the additional dynamics in the present family. So what happens is that you are a favorite child, you grow up, you, you expect to be affirmed, you have someone who f- you know how to fill someone up, you fill someone up, and then you have a child that strikes that in you. So you turn to that child in the same way, and the family legacy just goes on and on and on. Mm. It's often most notable in um, large families where the oldest son or daughter, by virtue of their, of their age and their birthright, that they are looked to to carry on the family tradition. And they, depending on how that gets talked about in the family, that can either be a good thing where all the kids in the family will live, live up, will look up to the revered oldest who takes on the role seriously of having to take, be the, the emotional provider of the family. So, or, yes. so Ellen, what, what does a parent do listening to this? What do, you know, what do we do? Because these are red flags, and as you said, you know, it happens in, every, it happens in most families. What can we do to become more aware? And then once we're aware, what can we do? So there, there's two questions here. First of all, how do we become aware? Sometimes people just go on with blinders. What are the warning signs? And then what do we do about them? We can be aware by listening because usually in a family, everybody knows who's the favorite, and there's lots of joking that goes on. And underneath the jokes is often truth. So first of all, if we open our eyes, if we're willing to listen to what our children tell us about who's the favored, we can learn a lot. And then the next question, of course, is for the kid to get a sense from the children where either they, the children believe that the same child is always the favored or whether occasionally the status of being the favorite gets passed off from, among the children. So one is to listen to kids, what they say. Second is to have a help, to trust a, a relation, in a relationship, whether it be with a spouse, a parent, a sibling, a best friend. Most of us can look at our friends or look at our siblings and what goes on in their families, and we can say, boy, they let Johnny get away with a lot. I can't believe how much they let that child get away with. And that's often a warning sign. And to be able to trust in a friend or 
sibling, as I said, another person, as a watchful eye to be able to say, you know, there's a way that you treat one child that really feels skewed to me and you Mm -hmm. might want to consider it. We all need a watchful eye, and it's nothing to be ashamed about. None of us know it all or could imagine. um, None of us can see how we treat other people. So if we could be open and listen to people close to us and be able to moderate our behavior, taking in their recommendations, that's really very, very useful. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So it's a matter of really you have to discuss it. You have to discuss it. And, you have um, to discuss it and talk about it. Right. All right. What are, you know, what are the characteristics that are positive. Now, I know we talked about certainly being self-assured and self-confident. Those would be probably the positives, yes? Correct. But then, as you said, then there's the other side. Now, you talk in your book about that sometimes this this lack or this firm sense of self-identity can actually produce behavior that's sociopathic. Well, I I do in my book point out that it can approach being a sociopath. There there are characteristics in favorite children that may resemble characteristics of sociopaths, but that doesn't mean that favorite children are sociopaths, and it certainly doesn't mean that all sociopaths were favorite children. It says that, that there's some common characteristics when somebody, the common characteristic being the level of self-absorption and the level of entitlement so that someone is not responsible for their behavior in the world. It's a kind of mindlessness about how we behave. And that is, you know, that is another, neg- another downside, another negative aspect. Right, and then the other part is that they, people don't become aware of it until we hit bottom or we crash or something happens. Um, well, it, we, we're not aware of it when it is negative often until we crash because we're so absorbed in our role. Mm-hmm. There are certainly a lot of people you, that grow up and say, I was the favorite in the family. I was my father's favorite. My brother was my, my mother's favorite. Um, when you read Ted Kennedy's book, I'm in True, True Compass, it's so clear that it wasn't as important. He wanted his father's approval, but was more, more important was that he be, interestingly, his brother's favorite, which was mm-hmm. John F. Kennedy's favorite that kids really want to feel that they are chosen by someone, that they are chosen and loved just a little bit more than everybody else. And that, that's not necessarily bad. I think that's probably um, that's the quintessential struggle most of us are, and none of us want to be the one not chosen, whether we're a kid in school and everyone gets chosen for a team and we're the last chosen um, nobody wants that. Nobody wants to be um, the last chosen in the family for um, uh, some kind of celebration. So yeah. we all want to be chosen. We all want to feel that we have won some kind of, of quintessential award or prize for being the one chosen first to be the one favored. So that's okay. 
it's not okay when, in fact, we have been chosen and the reward is more than affirmation, but the reward is entitlement. And it's when the, someone feels so entitled that it gets out of hand that all of the destructive traits come about that we've, we've spoken about already during our conversation. All right. All right. We're going to take a break, and when we come back, we're going to talk more to Ellen Weber Libby about the favorite child. And, you know, ask some more questions about, you know, what are appropriate expressions that we as parents can give to our children to raise strong and confident and capable and, and really accountable children. And how the favorite child is common, but it's something that we really have to look at. Mm-hmm. And also want to tell you that the favorite child is the only book on the market, and it's a new book about relationships that apply to everyone parents and children, brothers and sisters and only children, husbands and wives. Everyone grows up as the favorite child, the overlooked child or the unfavored child. And all people have issues about being chosen or not chosen. So we'll continue our discussion with Ellen Weber Libby right here on Patricia Raskin Positive Living on voiceamerica.com. Stay tuned, folks. We'll be right back. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your questions. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. Do you know that over 70% of Americans with severe disabilities are unemployed? Are you one of the 2.5 million Americans with epilepsy? If you are, or know someone struggling with these issues, tune in to Disability Matters with Joyce Bender. On the show, Joyce will discuss these issues as well as others. She will have on nationally known guests that will offer helpful insight on disability matters and let you, the listener, call in with your questions and concerns. So if you struggle with a disability or know someone who does, listen to Disability Matters with Joyce Bender. Heard every Tuesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time here on VoiceAmerica.com. Dialogue is the single most powerful leadership tool we have to make a difference in the world. Leading conversations with host Cheryl Esposito creates a place for that dialogue. Tune into the Voice America Business Channel every Friday as Cheryl hosts new conversations among leaders from around the world in business, government, art, economics, and social change. We'll explore big ideas and everyday actions and learn how their own leadership has led them to discover a newfound sense of possibility in the world. Leading conversations with Cheryl Esposito, bringing big thinkers together in conversations that make a difference right here on the Voice America Business Channel every Friday morning at 10 a.m. Pacific Standard Time. Are you ready to go green? You've asked and we've heard you. Voice America presents the Green Talk Network. Environmental topics are at the forefront of our society, and the Green Talk Network is here to keep you up to date on the latest trends and innovations for the eco-conscious lifestyle. We'll help promote a variety of ideas on the environment, from global warming issues to how you can become more eco-friendly in your daily activities. Be a part of the solution, not the problem. Visit the Green Talk Network page on voiceamerica.com and tune in to help spread the green. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com
Hi, everyone. We are back. You are listening to Patricia Raskin, Positive Living, right here on Voice America, America's Voice. My guest is Ellen Weber-Libby. She's a licensed psychologist, clinical psychologist, and author of the new book, The Favorite Child. For more than 35 years, she's a veteran clinical psychologist, and she's been helping successful, often powerful clients in Washington, a place known for its outsized personalities, deal with their personal problems. And what she has come up with after 60,000 hours of therapy is what she calls the favorite child complex. So she talks about, in her book, how the favorite child can bring us great advantages and also significant emotional handicaps. Welcome back, Ellen. Thank you. All right, let's talk um, about the overlooked child and the unfavored child. Um, the overlooked child sometimes feels really advantaged because they have the freedom to develop their own personalities in a way that the favored child does not. In, in my book, The Favorite Child, I talk about one family where the overlooked children really felt badly for the responsibility that the favored child had to have to live out um, a family legacy. And the older brother was so committed to wanting to be the favorite child that he never rebelled. He lived out the legacy, while the overlooked children were freer to go and to do and and to kind of develop their own characters. Mm. One person that I interviewed for the book, um, specifically because he was an overlooked child, um, really talked at great length that he really felt that he was privileged because in his family, his parents were alcoholics. And he said, my gosh, I got to bring myself up. I didn't have to... didn't stick close to them and was freer from the complexities of what would have been a destructive relationship. An unfavored child, though, is a much harder road to haul because it's a person, it's a child who, for the parents' reasons, probably having nothing intrinsically to do with the child, is um, is not favored. And there's something there's something more deliberate and more diabolical in the parent's treatment of the child. Well, and also, too, that can affect the child's self-esteem, where the overlooked child, like you said, if they pull themselves up by bootstraps and, you know, they're not being guided, but they're also not being put down or emotionally abused, it could be easier. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So, um, you know, oh. when you are the unfavored child or you are criticized or you're yelled at or told you're not good enough, and as you said, that creates a whole set of issues. Correct. Correct. Where the overlooked child has more freedom to develop um, their own skills, their own personality. As one person recently said to me, I was the overlooked child, and I am far more successful in my life than is my favored um, sibling because my favorite sibling was so indulged, never imagined that he would have to work to achieve in life, whereas I knew that I would have to take care of myself. Mm. And, um, and, and as an adult, was much better for it. Mm. Mm. So that's the issue. So let's talk then about what parents can do to favor their children and raise children who are strong and confident and capable and accountable. 
I think the first thing parents have to do is really understand that you you can, love is different than favoritism. Mm-hmm. And love really implies a very deep commitment, a deep loyalty, and parents can feel that for all their children. While at the same time, have a child who's the favorite, have a child where there's a particular resonance that a parent feels with a given child. And as I like to remind parents, if to the degree that parents can be conscious of that distinction, the child who is loved but not who is not necessarily favored may be the child that from time to time you have to work a little harder to give um, special attention to. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not uncommon to have one child who's just born, is just hardwired in a way that is um, more mellow, and another child is just born who's just combative and difficult, and parents just have to work harder to enjoy being with that child. And is, the parent is aware that they may favor the easier-going child who is more affirming to the parents, who makes the parents feel better about their ability to be competent, successful parents. And in that situation, it's so important for the parents to go out of their way just a little bit more to find ways to be with the more difficult child who they do love, but who they don't find as pleasant to be around. So it's, it takes some work, but it's also, as you said, it takes work, but it takes awareness as well. It takes awareness and it takes work, and it really takes a lot of self-honesty because to the parents have to be really honest and acknowledging that when I'm with this child who's more combative, I don't feel as affirming towards that child because that child's not as affirming towards me. Mm-hmm. And then as an adult, have to be able to talk about it with this, this significant other, this watchful eye that we talked about a little while ago, mm-hmm. and then be able to find a way to appropriately um, affirm this child who is the more difficult child. Mm. What about single-parent families, Ellen? That's so important, and I'm, I'm really glad that you asked that because there are obviously different kinds of single-parent families. The most destructive are families where there, it's a single-parent family because of a divorce, and the potential there for parents to end up competing with each other to be the favorite parent. We haven't really talked much about that today, but that can be just as complicated. In in single-parent families, when you have two parents competing to be the favorite parent so that the child would rather spend time with you than with your ex, that's potentially incredibly destructive for the child. Mm-hmm. Um, in other single parents... But what if, what if the, that one parent is really better for the child than the other parent who may be abusive, for example? Well, I, I, I certainly think that it's, it's terribly important to be realistic with children and to protect children from any kind of abuse. There's no question about that. What's important, though is that the parent be really clear that they're making decisions based on the best interest of the child as opposed to 
what's going to make me, the single parent, feel that I have won this competitive struggle with my ex. It's very important to be directed by what's in the best interest of the child as opposed to what's going to make the single parent feel um, that they have won a competitive game. So that's a very important distinction. Um, Why do you think that this is so important? I mean, you have seen so many thousands of clients. What made you say, oh, I have to bring up this aspect. I knew that I had to write this book when Bill Clinton was in the White House and was having an affair with Monica Lewinsky, and people were saying, how did he do it? Why did he do it? Why did he give it up? And the answer was so clear to me. He did it because he thought he could get away with it. I see in so many of the families that I work with that when children grow up feeling entitled, that it so mars their, re- their relationships with other people, it so mars how they feel about themselves ultimately, that it so impacts um, qualities of depression that people end up living with. And it just it seemed very, very, very important to me that people understand that we all want to be chosen and that we will often jump through hoops to be chosen, but that when we start jumping through hoops, that we give up something of ourselves that, so that as we get older as adults, we learn that being chosen is maybe not the quintessential important aspect of life. What's really important in life, ultimately, is that we can be grounded with ourselves and that we can be our own favorite person. Mm-hmm. And, and to do that, we don't have to be perfect, but we certainly have to be people with integrity and confidence and morality and all of those traits that sometimes we lose when we want to be somebody else's favorite rather than our own. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right, closing thoughts. Um, if people want to get help, how would they find you? Well, certainly, if people want to get help, they can certainly find me on my website, um, which you, you gave before. I'm in practice in Washington, D.C. Um, clearly, the, this, this, your audience, the scope of the book is far larger than Washington, and I do think that in any community, people can first get help by talking to um, a loyal friend who can really help each person put to language what it is they need. And then I think there are wonderful mental health providers and clergymen um, throughout every community that can really help people begin to struggle with the price that we pay when we work too hard to either want to be chosen or to want to ensure that we have that position of the chosen, of the chosen person, the chosen human being. All right. I want to thank you so much for coming on the program. It's, uh, it's, been a, it's, it's wonderful for me, and I hope that every, any listener who has any issues with either being the favorite or being the unfavored or struggles about who you are in relationships, I hope that this show will give you the courage to 
kind of open yourself up to people close to you, not to feel shame about your feelings and to be able to begin to get the support you need to find um, a, more, a, a better way to live your life, a more positive way. Thank you so much, Ellen. My guest has been Ellen Weber Libby, Ph.D., clinical psychologist and author of the new book, The Favorite Child. And you can log on to Ellen Weber Libby, L-I-B-B-I. Ellen L-I-B-B-Y. Right, L-I-B-B-Y. Ellen Weber Libby dot com. There you go. All right, perfect. All right, folks, remember, as I always say at the end of each program, you can write to me, Patricia at PatriciaRaskin.com. I'd love to put you on my email and my newsletter list. I send my newsletter out at the beginning of every month. And uh, as I always often say, you know, stay healthy, stay happy, and get the support that you need and really know that you can make your dreams come true. That's why we do this program each week. And today certainly was no exception with my guest, Ellen Weber Libby. And again, you can log on to ellenweberlibby.com. So until next time, I'm Patricia Raskin for Patricia Raskin Positive Living. Bye for now. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.